Welcome to Peer Into Recovery, a podcast with a focus on the profession of peer support. For more information about how to subscribe, please visit our website at www.vprsn.org. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. I am your host, Chris Newcomb. We have an exciting episode today. Our guest is Ashley Fitzke, and she is from the RVA and representing quite a few different hats that she wears every day at work. She's a PRS. She's a youth support partner with Family Support Partners of Virginia with Christy Corbin. Interesting side note, we both became PRSs under Christy Corbin's facilitatorship in class. She's also the RVA Young People in Recovery Chapter Lead Coordinator at the Sarah Center and also a personal medicine coach and all-around great person. Hey, Ashley, how are you today? I'm doing good. How are you? Doing great. It's so good to have you on the podcast. And um, what is going on with you today? Um, Well, I just watched my cat jump in the basket and... Get to work from home today. That's super exciting. Living on the edge. That's awesome. I, I know that you have a cat there I've seen. What's your cat's name? Her name is Zuzu. Uh, she is my biggest ally and the reason why I stay alive sometimes. Definitely. So. Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> well, animals have so much healing power for, for us humans. I have two cats myself and it's amazing how an animal can bring a renewed perspective when things get a little out of sort between our ears. Yes. My recovery has been about a lot of promises. And I think that all started because the promise I made with her, um, that she would see her mommy get better and that I couldn't leave her. Um, Even when I really wanted to, she was the reason why I couldn't. So I love that little girl so much. That's amazing. That's really awesome. Uh, Today, for our listeners, we're going to be talking about uh, Ashley's work with uh, the RVA Young People in Recovery as the chapter lead coordinator and also as youth support partner. And we'll be talking about what uh, peer recovery work looks like um, with the younger generation and also those the young at heart. But before we get into that, I wanted to ask Ashley to just talk a little bit about her story. Now, you're from Richmond, Virginia, correct? Yeah, for the most part. Um, I grew up in like Petersburg, Colonial Heights area until I was about nine because my grandma was my guardian and that's where she lived. And then I moved over to Chesterfield um, when I was adopted non-formally by my aunt and uncle who are my mom and dad now. Um, So I've been in Chesterfield since fourth grade and still haven't left. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great place to live. Um, I share something similar with you. I'm uh, very close to my aunt and uncle. They're kind of like second parents to me. And it's great to have extended family that you can connect with and be a part of your life. Do you see them often? Yes, they are my best friends. I call my mom um, an, an insane amount, uh, at, at least twice a day, uh, sometimes to just tell her something very silly. Um, it's almost like I share every thought I have with her. Uh, but they mean a whole lot to me, um, and they are truly my mom and dad. So I, I, I assume you know you mentioned that they're an ally, or the cat's an ally, and I'm sure these these folks are allies too. It's nice to have someone that you can be honest with and just 
be you, I would imagine. Yeah. And it's um, a really cool part of like my recovery story is I lost everything in my life within 24 hours at that very last rock bottom that I had. Um, and the, the two things I didn't lose was my parents' support and Zuzu, my cat. Um, so an ally is a great word for it, truly. And that's really you know, what you're doing and the work that you're doing, which we'll get to in, in just a, just a minute. Uh, so if you'd like to, can you tell us a little bit about your journey um, into recovery, whether it's mental health uh, and or substance use, one or the other, both, because we know people struggle in different areas um, and walk this path into a new way of life, which then often leads many people to do what you and I are doing, working as peer recovery specialists. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so for me, there was uh, a lot of hard stuff going on when I was a child bef in those nine years before my aunt and uncle, um, my parents got me. Um, there was very significant trauma that happened um, so much so that I was diagnosed with depression at five years old um, and medicated and, and dealt with a lot. Um, a lot of trauma. And as I turned into a teenager and stopped doing all the extracurricular activities, such as martial arts and cheer. Um, Tell me about that, Bruce Lee. <laughs> yeah. So I moved in with my aunt and uncle and it gave me the chance to be able to do all these things that I always wanted to do. Um, Cause my grandma just didn't have the, the funding for all of that. So I needed somewhere to watch me after school and during the summer. So I started um, doing martial arts with Martial Arts World, which is Taekwondo, um, under Grandmaster YK Kim. And I ended up getting my black belt by the time I was 13. Um, and that's just kind of a fun fact. It's a very fun fact. Remind me not to meet you in a dark alley. I'll, I'll come out on a stretcher. <laughs> <laughs> and really what it taught me that I, it still sticks with me now is just like the discipline and the things that they, they had. I mean, I was like 10 years old screaming assets, not liabilities. Um, I did not know what that meant. Uh, be a leader, not a follower. I, I did not care about any of that, honestly, but it's what I had to do and I did it. Um, and it taught, it taught me a lot of good things and a lot about uh, the discipline of when to react um, for just self-defense purposes, not. Sure. And I think that if it wasn't for having my black belt and being told that I would get in extra trouble if I got into like a real fight, um, I think that that helped me not be so scrappy uh, as a teenager. My, my friends right. took care of all of that, uh, which is so bad. Um, and I tried not to be a part of that, but I think the martial arts, martial arts helped me see that, like, you don't put your hands on somebody, um, unless it's in defense. And luckily I haven't had to use that much. So. That's awesome. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, it, it's a self-care thing and, you know, I, I can tell by the way you carry yourself and what you're saying is that we, you know, I, I've done martial arts too, and the idea is that we walk the way of peace uh, as, as much as we can. Uh, and and you know, I was taught to even run from an altercation um, because people have dignity, and we don't want to go there. But um, so that's amazing. So a little little fun fact: Ashley uh, is um, three generations removed from Bruce Lee. Uh, 
And uh, if, you need, if you need protection, she will uh, do that for a small fee. So you do you do the martial arts thing and then tell me how things are going from there. Yeah, so I did martial arts and cheerleading and that kept me really busy. It gave me something to work on. Um, but then I, I met what felt like my long lost best friend, which was marijuana, weed, you know, whatever. Uh, and I just tended to like that a whole lot more than um, my friends as well as drinking and other stuff as well. Um, I started driving and had some scary stuff happen. And I ended up getting diagnosed with panic disorder where I was medicated um, legally uh, on Xanax. So that's really what started the pretty scary journey of addiction um, long before I ever recognized that that's what it was because I thought that it was okay because my doctor was prescribing it to me. Um, and over the years, it, that prescription got very, very hefty. It no longer was as needed. It was on a schedule at a very, very extremely unethical high dose. But I thought it was okay because that doctor was giving it to me. I got prescribed it at 16, um, but it was a really small dose and it was more as needed. But then once I got older, it became no longer as needed and no longer such a small dose. I did know that I was very dependent on weed. I mean, I wouldn't even use the bathroom in the morning before I went and visited my apparatus Um at first, you know, like I could not do a single thing. And my friends, because I do have a few friends that I've had through this whole time, the 18 years that I've lived in Chesterfield, they are able to reflect with me back. And they would say that, like, I would just keep going and going and going and never getting any better. Um, like my anxiety never got better because of smoking. Um, and all along, I had that trauma. I had that trauma within me that really needed to be worked on and talked about. And I wasn't doing that um, because I was kind of taught that it's just so shocking and upsetting that I need to keep it to myself. Um, and that did not do me any justice. Mm. Yeah, I once heard a, a statement in recovery circles that we're only as sick as our secrets. I think that's a really powerful statement, uh, and of course, the word "sick" can be can be you know charged, but but we could say um, off balance, um, out of sorts, you know, not at our best health when we were forced to keep secrets, and, and you know, recovery is about being honest. And um, I saw a thing today that a lady said the um, the trigger that you have is the invitation to go to the feeling below the trigger and honor it and listen to it. And then that reduces the trigger. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it is. And it would come out. Um, it would come out in ways that I didn't realize. And I kind of searched for the things I thought I deserved. And that was chaos. That was bad relationships. That was external validation from unsafe people. Um, and there was just, there was a lot going on in my brain. I mean, they say that your personality is developed by the time you're five years old. And by the time I was five years old, I knew about drugs, alcohol, sex, um, non-consent, all of the really, really bad things that a child should not know, much less see firsthand. Um, and it was really scary. And there, there was just a lot that I, need, I needed to work on, and I would try to talk about it, um, 
and it would just scare people because I was talking about it to the wrong people, you know? Sure. Well, and, you know, at, at five years old, the prefrontal cortex, you know, the part behind your forehead that says, you know, look both ways before you cross the street is nowhere near developed enough to have a language to be able to articulate those things. Hey, I'm five, I'm seeing X, Y, Z, and it's freaking me out. You, know, you, you don't really have a language to do that. Um, and then, of course, as you say, you know, you, you're maybe talking to people who are not safe or not trustworthy or whatever. Again, you're five years old or, and you don't have the language and the discernment to know not the right person to talk to. So I'm sure that was a kind of a heavy burden to carry, not only just what you were dealing with, but where's the, where is the, um, the, the imitation and the freedom and the safety to be able to, to talk out what I'm dealing with. As we work as peer recovery specialists, we are being invited into someone's story if they allow us to sit and listen uh, to what they have to say. The cool thing about being a peer is now that's a part of my story and it can spread hope. But, right, the story changes, right? It, you, hit, you hit the bottom and you find out it looks like concrete, but it's really just a, you know, a trampoline for you to rise the phoenix from the ashes. You know, of course, the darkness of the story, like that's important, I guess, to set the stage. But where the real magic and importance is, is of the journey of recovery. So that takes us to what you're doing now. You're dealing with a specific demographic of, of young folks. What are the generations that you specifically deal with? I mean, there's baby boomers, there's millennials, there's Generation Z. Who, who are the ones that you focus on? Um, I honestly, I don't really think about it in like the labels of generations, but I do. Um, I did get the wonderful chance to create my own support group about something I'm the most passionate about, which is self-love and self-care. And that is for ages 18 to 29. And that is through being a youth support partner and family support partners of Virginia. And I was really confused as why a group for the youth would go up to ages 29. And that's when I found out that in Virginia, you're still considered a youth in a lot of agencies and organizations until the age of 29, because they call it a transition age. And that is so gives that is so freeing. It is so empowering and makes me feel better about where I am in my life. Because if you think about no matter what generation you are in your 20s, especially nowadays, every year looks different. You're a different person every year. Like my best friend is 27 with three kids and married. I am 27. I've never been married. And my kid is a four-legged cat, you know, like we've, we're all in such transitional ages, you know, we, we're all complex people with complex lives and, and complex everything. Um, and the ages of 18 to 29, I just feel like people are lost because I would go to certain um, support groups and be the youngest person by 10 to 15 years. Um, you know, I'm coming, I'm coming back from my job as a nanny and they're leaving their like law firm. Like, we don't have that much in common and it made me feel more alienated and, and alone. And I, my whole thing about being a peer for me is the promise that I made to myself of telling little Ashley's story, but also to, to help all the other little Ashley's out there. Um, 
I'm willing to be vulnerable and share the the parts of myself and that are uncomfortable because I felt so alone for so long. Um, and that's like the worst feeling ever is to feel alone and to not have somebody that looks like you and talks like you and represents more of you. And I think that it's so much more powerful to go into a high school, which I now get to do and I'm really excited about and talk to the students about recovery um, because I look more like them. I talk more like them. Um, You were saying that maybe Gen X is like the lost generation. Um, I feel like Gen Z and below may be the misunderstood generation. Um, Okay. Tell me about that. Yeah. Like I think that times are changing so fast. Technology is changing so so fast. The, The level of problems that they have to deal with are higher I will say, um, I know people always say like, back in my day, we walked through the snow barefoot to get the school uphill for 20 hours. Um, and yeah, that might be true. And maybe people don't have to do that today, but just because, you know, I like to compare it to when you're little and you don't want to eat your broccoli because you don't like broccoli and your parents can compare it to somebody being hungry down in a different country, you know, that doesn't make you magically like broccoli. You still, (laughs) you still don't like broccoli. You get what I mean? For me, it was, yeah, for me, it was chicken livers and asparagus. So I I totally get you. (laughs) Yeah. No chicken livers for me. I've heard they're very good for you though. That's what having a dog is for. (laughs) I, my stepmother one night said, you're not getting up till you clean your plate. She went to take a shower and I was like, thunk, threw it on the floor, dog took it up. I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make you magically want that. So I'm sorry, I, I interrupted your broccoli story. Go it's ahead. okay. I could just talk about this stuff forever because if you just look at Gen Z's life, they so early on dealt with the stuff about 9-11 And being like five years old, like learning about this, like scary thing that could happen to us at any time, Um, a pandemic, having social media where you're comparing yourself to these unrealistic versions of people's life that's not real. Um, That's interesting because in, in, I'm not going to say it, I was going to in my day, (laughs) I will not say that, Uh, growing up as a a younger person, um, I grew up in the age of MTV. So in MTV, you could compare yourself, but it was only in your head. And there was not on social media for everybody else in the neighborhood to go ahead and weigh in an opinion about the way you looked in comparison to what you wanted to look like, unless you were unfortunate enough to ask them or they were not nice enough. They were too nice or too not nice to tell you. So that's a whole different deal than what, uh, you know, Gen Z and below are dealing with, because it, it seems, you know, I mean, you see kids that are seven years old who are seeing counselors because their, their, their schoolmates are just being vicious online. Yeah. I mean, even like through the pandemic, having a pandemic where, um, in very, uh, in very important years for your development and social and everything, switching to being on the computer where you're seeing yourself that entire time, or even, without the pandemic, just having this smartphone that you're taking pictures of yourself or videos and all this, and you're seeing what you look like every single week. Like that's, that wasn't a problem before. Like when, when people would go get film and pictures, like you take pictures for 
a special event and you look at them when you go through your photo album, but having like, like I probably, I could look right now. I think I have like 68,000 photos on my phone since 2000 and yeah, since 2016. That's six, eight comma zero, zero, zero. Yes. Woo. You should do a job telling your story and taking pictures. <laughs> right. Um, I will say probably half of them are from the last two years of having my cat. And I take a lot of videos and stuff. Where the percentages are selfies, or you don't have to tell that one. Um, not <laughs> as much do. as they used to be when I was younger for like the ages that I served. Um, sure. that, the ages that I serve now. Because um, that's just a part of their life. And when, when so I... What is Sorry, when I think about like talking with the youth of this age, like sometimes people, <clears throat> they just don't understand. So they act different because they don't understand. Um, I'll talk about the self-love club and say the age range and everybody makes sure to say like, oh, well, that isn't my age. Like, okay, but your age probably has a lot of things that that you can go to places you can find support, but that age range of 18 to 29, people get lost in the system or when they try to actually go to something in that system, there's nobody there that, that talks like them and, and feels like them. And I think the youth are really big on authenticity, which is really cool. Cause that's a part of being a peer. And I know that you've yes. asked like, how do you connect with these, with these people? And I think that, well, as much as I worry about trying to be cool or whatever, like, cause I mean, I'm, I'm 28, like, or almost 28 in January, but you know, compared to an 18 year old, my life does not look that cool. But when I'm my authentic self and I talk about the little things that make me, me, that's what people connect to. Um, and being able to just like, I think a lot of it is just being like chill and casual and relaxed and, um, for, for those of us, for those who may be listening that aren't familiar with the usage of the word chill in that sense, you don't mean chill as in put a jacket on because it's cold outside. You mean relaxed, right? Casual. <laughs> I mean, I know what it means, but you know, there's this difference amongst you know amongst generations. And uh, you know, it's funny because I have found in, in my work, uh, and this is about you, so I'll do very quickly um, that. The whole cool factor, people will think you're cool when you're authentic, which is what we do as peers. When you show a genuine interest in them and their story, your cool points, quote unquote, go up. And then if you ask them a question about themselves, because people love to talk about themselves, not that they're being arrogant, people like to share. And I've found that I can go up to someone who may have a t-shirt on of a band that I would never listen to. You know, and they may think, oh, well, he likes Lawrence Welk. And if you don't know who that is, it's very different than like rock and roll. Um, but to go up to somebody and go, oh, cool. Tell me about that band. They all of a sudden it's like, well, this guy looks really kind of lame, but OK, he's asking me about the band. At least he can read. Right. So what um, when you work with folks, what are some hurdles that you have to overcome to be able to meet them? Where at? Like if you're talking to an 18 year old and you're almost 28, how do you overcome that hurdle of breaking that, that ice to be able to connect? Um, I think that I just try to, like, I think about the things that I see in my life that they may connect to, like, 
maybe there's a certain saying on TikTok about being in a silly, goofy mood. Um, I'm not going to just use that term just to use it to see if they connect. But if I am feeling like I'm in a silly, goofy mood, like I can say that. I love that. That's fun. Um, But sometimes it can be a, a true hurdle because a lot of these people that I'm I'm helping, they're not comfortable talking on the phone. They don't want to meet in person. Um, a lot of them do not want their cameras on. And that's a big reason why I think they stay coming to the self-love club is I don't care that their camera's on. They can change their name to peanut butter, you know? Um, it's a good popular name. Yeah, it is, right? <laughs> oh, here's the question. Jif or Peter Pan? Uh, Kroger brand. Okay, all right, that's good. If you were going to say Jif, we'd have problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're, I mean, what I hear is authenticity, meeting them where they're at, which are, are crown jewels in, in the peer support um, delivery of services. Um, and once you, um, you know, you, you make that connection, how have you seen people resonate with your approach? I think that in any peer work, no matter the age, you know, you never know what you're going to share about yourself that somebody else connects to. Um, and sometimes it's hard to share like the really like deep, intimate parts about yourself. But I've talked about um, there's certain kind of therapy I'm doing to heal trauma or um, inner child healing in general. And I just see that it lights them up and or um, maybe I will talk about safety and if I can see them on camera, I can see how they react to it. And that's obviously a need that's met, that's not being met for them. So we can kind of explore that more. Um, and I think that having somebody who's just like chilling, uh, sitting in their room, um, I have like little fairy lights behind me and, and show my personality of the things behind me. Um, you never know what somebody's going to connect to and not making it because we're not clinicians, we're not therapists. Um, we're just on the same level. And a lot of something that's unique is a lot of those people have never even heard of a peer recovery specialist or been in a group that doesn't have all these extreme rules and that the person facilitating it can talk to you um, outside of it. And it's it's not unethical. Because the hurdles, you know, that you're talking about, um, you know, is being able to meet them where they're at and create a safe, you know, which is a very buzzword, you know, a safe space, uh, but vital, particularly when you're talking about trauma, uh, to provide a place that, because safety creates the opportunity for trust. Trust creates the opportunity for healing, because if I don't trust you, I'm surely not going to tell you the very scary things that that have caused wounds for me, because if, if I can't trust that you're going to hold that in confidence and that you're going to respect me and not put me down or judge me. I'm just setting myself up to get hurt even further. Right. So you're, you're creating a safe, a safe path. So if you were talking to one of your peers and let's say they're like, they're like you and the guy says, you know, Ashley, you need to make telling your story, your job. And so you're working with a peer and you go, you know what, Tom, you need to make your story part of your job. How would someone follow the path to do what you do? Um, put their recovery first, put themselves first and build up that toolbox of everything they may need. The biggest they've ever had it, um, for themselves, because that's necessary. And 
helps your life a whole lot, um, but it will help your job. And for me, I found it easier to want to do things for myself because I knew that telling that part of the story may help somebody else. Like, for example, I have somebody in my group um, that has curly hair. So we bond about how annoying curly hair is. Um, and <laughs> it's the little yeah, things. it truly is the little things. I think that's how you connect with the youth. You sign up for your 72 hour course. Hopefully you have a really awesome facilitator that um, you, you vibe with really well. And, um, you know, take the training seriously. So, so you take your 72 hours training and then, then what would they need to do? Um, the facilitator of your training can help throughout the next steps, but it usually, um, it, it has to be that you get 500 hours. Um, there are lots of really awesome internships out there, um, programs. I got so lucky and got to be one of the first few people to do the region Four peer intern Academy with RBHA, um, okay. And I, I truly am so thankful of that. And um, when I did my interview for that position, one of my mentors that I respect so much, they mentioned that those 500 hours treat the whole thing like an interview. You never know who you're talking to may want to grab you. And that ring to be very, very true for me. I took that seriously. Um, and little did I know that while I was doing my 72-hour training with my facilitator, Christy Corbin, she had something in the works to have her first round of interns as well. So I got to be an intern with her company as well as the um, Region 4 Peer Intern Academy. Um, and then I just kept showing up as myself um, and did different recovery events. And I ended up joining a Young People in Recovery event because I was invited to it. Um, and I've never even heard of them, but we floated down the James river for four hours. Uh, yeah. And I guess I kind of did networking, which is still pretty new for me. When you, ne when you network out of authenticity, it's very easy. You're not putting a facade on and you're just like, Hey, I'm Ashley. This is what I do. This is my story. I want to help people. Da, 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 da. And I think there's wisdom in what you were saying is, is, uh, you know, how you present yourself obviously affects, can open up all kinds of doors. The key is, of course, when we do it authentically, it's even better because we're not playing a part. We're, we're, we are being who we are. And I think recovery allows us to do that. And you mentioned the internships and, and jobs. Uh, so I have to make a shameless plug for the Virginia Peer Specialist Network.org website. Uh, you can go to, and we have uh, listings of internships and jobs for peers. So that's something if someone wanted to work uh, with your particular demographic, they can go there as well to find a position. Um, in, I think, uh, I mean, your story is amazing and what you're doing, the work you're doing is is incredible. Um, what would you say, and, and I have to wrap up, but what would you say to a peer who's quote unquote, not in that generation bracket, but has a peer who is, who comes to talk with them, what are some things that they may want to consider as they speak with that peer if they feel like, well, gosh, I don't have anything to offer, or I'm, I'm not of their age or their age bracket, I'm too old, blah, blah, blah. What might you tell them? Yeah, I really love that question. Thank you for that. That's a, that's a really good one. I would say um, just treat them like a person. You know, just because they're a young adult doesn't mean that their voice doesn't matter. And I trust and believe that peers 
know that everybody's voice matters, but um, it's not a time to compare your 20s to theirs. Um, trust me, they're already doing that enough every single moment of every day sometimes. Um, and and just treat them the same that the same that you would and, and be yourself, you know. Um, if you do get on social media, you could talk about something on there. Um, if you think that they might be into that kind of thing, but don't force it. You know, don't don't force the connection. I, I need to wrap up, but this has been such a great conversation. Um, I really appreciate your time, Ashley, and talking about uh, your work with uh, those uh, in the younger demographic as a youth support partner with Family Support Partners of Virginia and also as an RVA Young People in Recovery Chapter Lead Coordinator at Sarah Center. Uh, if someone listening, wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best um, like email address if they wanted to get in touch with you or how, how might they do that? Yeah. So my email is A-S-H-L-E-Y-F at S-A-A-R-A dot org. All right. Ashley F at Sarah dot org. Ashley F is in Frank at Sarah dot org. For all of your Ashley connection, Just send her an email. She'll be glad to talk with you. (laughs) Thank you, Ashley, for being our guest. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was great. I'd like to thank our listeners for listening to the Peer into Recovery podcast, which is brought to you by the Virginia Peer Recovery Specialist Network and Mental Health America Virginia. And if you like our show and would like to subscribe to the podcast, please visit our website at www.vprsn.org. And please leave us a brief review on iTunes. In the meantime, take care of yourselves, everyone. See you soon.